Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, welcome today, the Venerable Roger Priest, Master of the Royal Foundation of St. Catherine, which is an ancient charity that currently works with national and international charities, providing space for them to do creative work. Roger has a really interesting background. He's an experienced coach to business leaders, helping with both personal and organizational development. But he was previously a founding partner of Capco, the global financial market solutions company. Prior to that, he was chief operating officer at Sumitomo's Global Investment Bank with operations in New York, Hong Kong, London, and Tokyo. And then he was starting his consulting career at Accenture. So he's, yeah, he's kind of been around the world and, and done quite amazing stuff. And I've actually got him here to talk about this beautiful space that he's master of. And I'm, I'm encouraging all the listeners to go and visit you as soon as we are, we're opened up and people can move around and, um, and come and see you. I just wanted to get you here really to talk about the beautiful space that it is and why havens are important, havens that have nature in them because what you're doing there is, is, is really quite something wonderful, Roger. So mm. thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me to, to meet with you. It's great to, to see you, Vanessa. Can you tell us a little bit about um, yourself and what you do at St. Catherine's uh, and also what the purpose of St. Catherine's is? Yeah, so I've been here six months. And as you mentioned, I've, uh, my first half of my career was as a financial markets management consultant and uh, an operations officer. So running all the back end of investment banking operations around the world. So uh, activities related to business and buildings and cities and technology, a far cry from the natural world and my new job here the last six months is you know i'm sitting in my study uh in this ancient georgian house looking out onto this beautiful green space which is the cloistered garden of the foundation of st catherine's and this is um a little urban sanctuary uh, an oasis in the center of london just by limehouse uh, and it's surrounded by busyness and chaos and a cement works and a derelict old sweet factory uh, and the DLR chundling uh, backwards and forwards. But inside, it's an incredible space and an amazing place of natural uh, life and habitat uh, in this amazing part of diverse East London. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about maybe the history of St. Catharines? Yes, so uh, the history started in 1147, so it's been around a long time, uh, and it started as a place of prayer by the Tower of London. Do you know St. Catherine's Docks? Yeah. Well, that's called St. Catherine's because that's where the foundation started. It was founded in 1147 by uh, Queen Matilda uh, to, as a place of prayer, and it, it's grown to be different things over the years, and it became a little township at one point, uh, just outside the city of London, about 3,000 people lived around it. It was a chapel, it was a cloisters, a place of hospitality and welcome and uh, uh, it was uh, all the buildings were knocked down in 1825 to build uh, the docks uh, and it moved to Regent's Park and then came here in 1950 uh, initially to do social work, Meals on Wheels for local people after the uh, the, the recovery after the war uh, and the site here was a bombed out church uh, a derelict site and little by little since 1950 it's grown to become this uh, beautiful oasis now where it's got 45 bedrooms seven conference rooms built around this georgian house and then we've got this um, um, 
wild land just on the edge that was derelict, which now has been reclaimed to be a, the Yurt Cafe uh, and a community centre as well. So we've got kind of a mixture of a wildlife habitat, tent, cafe, next to then this building cloistered around uh, the beautiful gardens with some amazing ancient trees as well. Okay, and can you tell us um, a little bit about the role of St Catherine's, its, it's role in the community now? I mean, I, I know you mentioned at the beginning and um, before we've started recording um, that you're obviously we're, we're recording this during the, this, the you know the, the COVID nineteen lockdown, um, but you're providing a, a wonderful offer and a support to the NHS. Yeah, so a normal day to day business uh, is where a charity that exists to provides space for many other charities to do creative work. So on a typical day, we might have Amnesty International having a board meeting in one room. We might have the Children's Society having a leadership training in another room. Maybe the Red Cross might be uh, doing some uh, public consultation in another room. So amazing charities come to us and do creative work. Uh, businesses too as well, education, local authorities. So it's a place where people uh, come in and out uh, and any rooms not used for events, uh, we put uh, available for bed and breakfast. And also we run our own retreat program. We have a chapel at the heart of our place. It's a place of prayer and reflection and spirituality. So um, we offer retreats to people to come and get away and have a break from the busyness of, of life. Uh, and uh, people come for a day, people come for a week, uh, we lay on different things. So that's our normal day-to-day -day life. Uh, plus the, 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 uh, the cafe, restaurant in the yurt and community groups. And then the crisis happened and suddenly everything that we did that facilitated bringing people together in a nice space became not only not desirable but harmful and we had to stop. And what do you do with 50 staff, a two million pound cost base and uh, a beautiful building that people aren't allowed to visit. Uh, so we, we thought about it and realized we, we didn't want to just to shut down and, and apply for, for government uh, support. We wanted to say, how could we serve the crisis? So we, we turned our cafe into a convenience store, takeaway store to provide supplies for local people. So we could get toilet roll from our suppliers when even the supermarkets couldn't get it. So we've tried to kind of find out what they need and provide for it. Uh, we've also helped connect uh, 230 local volunteers to local charities around helping uh, deliver food and medical things to people who are vulnerable and stuck in their homes and are self-isolating. Uh, and then the rest of the buildings we offered to different agencies and the NHS asked us to do what's called step-down care. So we're part of their facilities that if people need to get out of hospital but can't go home for whatever reason, uh, they can come and stay with us and we'll look after them while they convalesce. So uh, that's what's happened to us the last few weeks. It's been a, a bit of a journey and uh, very exciting and a difficult time, of course, for many, but uh, we're, we're enjoying uh, trying to find a little part to play to help uh, in this situation. I think that's, I think it's a really wonderful thing um, that you, you're doing there. I, I think it's fantastic because it helps free up the beds for the NHS. But um, I mean, I've obviously I've, I've come down and, and seen the space and it really is something really quite wonderful. Um, it's a it's, it is a haven. Um, I mean, why do you think it's really important? I mean, you've it, the space that you have. I mean, can you can you kind of describe there are two spaces, I would say, in St. Catharines. There's 
the the yurt area which um is this fantastic tent and outside there has this sort of as you say this wild space <laughs> um and then you have the um the other space which is the in the center of the cloisters which um um is is uh is a calm the acoustics are quite unique um, you did yeah. that lovely dance um, installation there just recently, you know, um, actually yeah. in part of the chapel. Um, but can you can you kind of describe the space? Sorry, it's a bit of a challenge for you, but... Uh... No, so, the, so the outside space, outside the, the main foundation building, that's the, the, the yurt space, we call it the precinct. And that was a derelict, just bit of an old land, London land overgrown. And it's been turned into a natural habitat uh, with um, some landscaping that's created uh, some open space with lots of raised beds for vegetables, for wildflowers, for small trees that are blossoming at the moment. So we have these raised beds around. And then we've got a, a, an embankment going up onto a hill uh, with lots of uh, picnic tables set out. Although now we've turned them on upside down so people can't sit on them <laughs> because not so around. But, but, but normally on a, a good day when there's no pandemics, uh, people are sitting out there enjoying their lattes, having an amazing uh, Moroccan stew uh, with fresh bread. Uh, it's amazing. Um, so we have this sort of outdoor wild space that's, that uh, we're looking at getting beehives in as well. Uh, and there's something about the, the, the area of London we live in, apart from Limehouse Basin, it's beautiful. The rest of the area around us is not terribly beautiful. It's very busy, very developed. Um, but uh, you know, the yurt space is, is, is an attractive space. But then you walk through the yurt, from the yurt to our reception. And it just looks a very, like a very boring 1950s block. It's not terribly interesting at all. But you walk through that and then suddenly you're open into this green vista of the inner sanctuary, the, the uh, sort of uh, place, the secret hidden away garden that is in the heart of, of St. Catherine's. And people can't see it um, from outside. It's, it's hidden away. But once you walk in, then you're in this very special place. And then off the garden uh, is the various conference rooms and the chapel and the um, lounges and various things as well. Uh, and I'm looking at there's some sculptures put out, uh, some beautiful sculptures. There's uh, a number of mature trees within the, the, the cloisters as well. And then there's some covered walkways that people can walk around in all weathers and experience it. And so when people are sitting in their conferences, having their meetings, most of the time they're looking out onto this green vista uh, in this sort of hidden away little garden. And, and that's really so important for us because so many people, when they go to meetings in London, they'll go to a hotel and it's a, you know, a bog standard box hotel, very little open space, very little greenery. Uh, and the rooms are, are, are not necessarily looking out onto something very beautiful, but all our rooms are looking out onto this green restful space and we've got a couple of rooms that in the Georgian house uh, the ground floor um, who, that are painted uh, in the 1800s with full-size oil paintings of scenery from the Italian Riviera from historic Greek um, tragedies uh, so even in the bad weather in the dark if you're in those rooms you don't have to look out the window because you can turn around and you feel like you are in the Riviera in in the 1300s yeah. uh, so 
we've got these rooms that have created these images of the external world. And I suppose it's now we, we might think about designing a room with, with massive flat panels with, with uh, webcams or something, but, but you really have the sense of being inside, but with a feeling of outside and of the outside natural and developed world, beautiful world. Yeah, so, but why do you think it's important for people to have that view? To have a view of nature, to have a, a view of, of, of space, to have a view of trees and, well, the Riviera's just got water. I've seen the paintings, they're very beautiful, but even, you know, just to have the, the natural greenery around them, the trees. The life. I mean, you, you're asking quite a philosophical question is why yeah. and I I don't know why but what I know is what works yeah and when you know we've, we've just gathered some very senior leaders of organizations around the world for, for an online conference and we we asked the question what brings you joy and do you know what the the most the, the, the most significant answer that got the most votes was nature <sighs> the natural world brings joy to people and yes that the human creativity can create buildings that are wow and create an amazing sense of aesthetics when you see them and there are beautiful buildings I mean when I go into St Paul's Cathedral there's a sense of wow and when I walk around some of the buildings of Canary Wharf some not all some are ugly but some are are beautiful but I don't think there's anything quite like natural beauty uh, walking along the River Thames, so that's very developed, seeing a sunset, beautiful expanse of land and the, the light, the colour of the light that brings out, uh, the, the, the river looks different every day because of the tides and the light. It's a continuous changing, beautiful, shimmering shape that's uh, totally unique. Every day's visit to the river is a different uh, natural experience of the natural world shaped by the wind and the tides and the sun and the weather and the light. That's a wonderful thing. I, I interview and I speak to environmental psychologists and they talk about the, you know, what it does, you know, the sort of the neuropsychology and, and yeah, the philosophy behind it. But um, that what you've just said there, you know, actually, when you ask people what brings them joy, it's nature. Yeah, mm. it's simple yeah. as is, really. And of course, the natural world speaks to people in different ways. And, you know, as a, as a Christian, as, a, as someone involved in Christian ministry, um, for, for people of, of faith, nature, creation and God are all intertwined. So, so for Christians, a sense the natural world also speaks to something creative that speaks to a creator. And so that is another powerful thing that that um, speaks to people and uh, the, the, um, the, the scriptures like the, the Psalms in the Old Testament, they're full of beautiful pictures of nature. Uh, there's some, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 19 and it starts off, the heavens are telling the glory of God, the wonders of his work declares the firmament. old-fashioned and, and it was put to music by Haydn in his uh, piece of music, his oratorio called The Creation. And when that piece of music comes and is sung out, it's just fabulous. And there's something just so joyful in it. But it's actually speaking of the joy of creation, the joy of beauty, and uh, uh, just experiencing the beauty of the natural world and what it brings. Yeah. I mean, what is it for you that you love about nature? I mean, you know, obviously you've, 
um, you've, you've had a really interesting career. You've been in, I mean, which a lot of people listening to this are business people. Um, there's like everybody from interior designers to um, finance people, to investment people, to insurance brokers, all kind of people, um, painters and decorators, everybody. Um, I mean, I don't know if your journey, I mean, to, to, to Christianity, you know, to Christianity, into the, the role you're doing right now has always been with you or whether you've come to it recently. In people who are struggling in lockdown right now, what advice would you give them to, you know, maybe as well if they're about to change career or they're, you know, they may have lost their job or whatever, what, what advice would you give them um, to try and take some time out? Is nature a benefit? Is, is like having some time out, looking out to a view, say for instance, a benefit to people to maybe consider where we've come from, the kind of, maybe the innocence of nature and, creation if you want um there's a lot of things in that question um uh, thinking about lockdown um you know, i am so privileged so privileged to to have to stay in a place that is intrinsically beautiful and you know I, my heart goes out to people stuck in places which are intrinsically not attractive without nice views without much space uh, that's really hard and uh, particularly people uh, are self-isolating so they even can't go out easily then that's so so difficult and you know how can people cope in those situations it's so difficult and and I think it's a real challenge for people's mental health when they're in a, a very very restrictive environment with no natural uh, access and uh, you know I was quite horrified when in the first stages of lockdown in London they closed all the parks. I just thought madness, madness, because uh, people need that space uh, to walk in. And by closing the park, people were going for their daily exercise, but they were crammed in the, the small canal paths and the, uh, the, the paths near the paths and actually being forced close together, which is not the right idea at all. At least at the parks, people can spread out. Yeah, and you know, some people misbehave, but most people were taking it very seriously. So I was so relieved when the parks were reopened so that people could access them who live in the city. Um, obviously, if you can't even get out of your house, what do you do? And I, I do think we're, we're privileged now. We've got so much access uh, online now. And if you've got a, a decent computer with a decent screen, you can have beautiful images projected uh, to see and to look at. And, and my screensavers, when I'm not using my computer, it just produces the most beautiful landscapes from around the world. And I, I, even that little, little thing helps me um, while I'm in my study. In terms of people, you know, the, ins the insecurity, the uncertainty, the anxieties, the fears, there's so many things to be anxious about at the moment. People are anxious for their jobs, anxious for their health, anxious for their family's health, anxious for their family's jobs, anxious for their neighbours. There's so many ways to be anxious. And, uh, and the problem is that our brains are hardwired to fear. That's our kind of makeup as human beings, is that fear is a mechanism designed to protect us so that when something dangerous happens, our body physically reacts ready for fight or flight. And that's our kind of wiring psychologically. But we all know that our wirings, if you like, has become um, out of balance because um, the ingredients that from the, particularly the, from the media channels that we are fed on are orientated towards making us anxious, perhaps in a way that's unhelpful. And so I think we need to, a sensible diet of media, social media, of news, and also to make sure we're picking other things 
uh, to fill our minds with, to balance off. And I think uh, for me, gratitude is a, a huge thing that through gratitude, uh, and that includes the understanding of the natural world, we can release uh, ourselves, like rewire the thinking towards optimism and hope, as opposed to being dragged down into fear and despair. For, for us, we, you know, we are a retreat center, we run retreats and the value for people of taking time away from their day-to-day -day life and doing something a bit different is really important. And um, our retreats, we run quiet days and we put the whole of St. Catharines in, in silence. We say all the rooms are quiet rooms, but you can wander around wherever you like and we'll do a couple of meditations in the chapel, um, a couple of talks if people want, but people come and have shared space together in silence and it's quite interesting and i was asking the question will after the lockdown people be so fed up of being on their own that they'll never want to go on a retreat again but i actually think that that's not the case because part of a retreat it's intentional to go and take a time of peace but to do it with others there's a powerful thing about shared silence and shared space in silence and so if you haven't tried a retreat, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious or have any religion, the act of taking time away, of getting into a different space, of um, allowing your brain to think in different ways, to be in a place of reflection and thinking, that unlocks creativity uh, and unlocks ways of thinking, ways of, of, of being, which can be very helpful. So I think my encouragement would be to if you haven't tried taking a sort of retreat, give it a try and see what you experience, what you feel. And uh, the Royal Foundation of St. Catherine, we're at the heart of London. It's a different sort of retreat experience than say going off to my other favorite retreat place, which is Coldy Abbey, which is an island off the coast of Wales, where you take a boat, get onto the island, and then you're in the Cistercian Monastery. That's amazing. It's another story in terms of the natural world. But we try and recreate that retreat experience in the heart of one of the busiest cities in the world. And so that's our kind of unique offering, if you like. It's can you have a retreat, but yet still be in the big city. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.